Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Aren't you thankful that you won the battle and you're here tonight? Amen. There's some things we had to navigate around, no doubt. Somebody in this house right now for a moment or two didn't know if you would make it, but you're here we're so thankful and we'd never take that for granted. I'm going to ask the Lord to help us this evening as we consider his word. We're going to pray and just go right into the word of the Lord and, and ask God to touch us tonight. Lord, I love you and I thank you so very much for the opportunity to be able to preach and teach from your word and ask you, God, to be more than just someone who declares your word. I'm asking you today to help me to be a person, a man that lives your word. Every day of my life, not just here and there, but I pray, God, that I will let your word be a guiding force in my life. Speak to my heart. Speak to us collectively as a church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And you can be seated, and may the Lord bless you. I'm going to be talking again this evening from the book of James, and so if you would like to go ahead and prepare to at least join me in the fifth chapter of James I want to talk about something this evening that and at first glance may seem like it is not applicable to you. Um, because James is addressing the very wealthy. And so we may not feel like there's the very wealthy among us tonight. And uh, so... I want to try to just sort out maybe just a couple of the millionaires and talk to you this evening. Amen. No, I, I, I don't want you to disconnect just because we're talking about something and miss. There's a principle here, I think, that James is driving. Although James, of course, as we've been talking about, is writing a letter, a literal letters to literal people. And he is dealing with literal situations, absolute situations. For us this evening... I think that we can certainly understand the absoluteness of what James is teaching. But far beyond that, I think we need to see the principle of what he is teaching. In the book of Luke, I'm just going to make a couple of references to Luke. I'm going to read a little bit out of Matthew. But uh, James is certainly in the, in the cart here this evening. But in Luke 16, Jesus states an important spiritual principle. And in this, he says that no man can serve two masters. He said, for either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll hold to one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. And uh, the word mammon there is another word for money. And so you can't serve God and mammon. And then because of that, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 and 
through 21. He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through to steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then verse 21, that very familiar place, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so here's this simple principle. Uh, I say simple, but a very weighty principle that is introduced by uh, Jesus through the writings of Matthew. And then in our study tonight, we're going to find that James elaborates on this very principle, and that is the premise of our study. And so if we could just boil it all down to one single central thought, here's what we're going to be talking about here tonight. I think that nothing more clearly reveals the state of a person's heart than their view and opinion of, of material possessions. That when you, when you understand how people view material things, you get a good read on where that person's heart and treasure is. I was raised, and many of you were raised, on songs that said, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And so if it all kind of fell by the wayside, then we understood that beyond this world, that's the world I'm reaching for. This is just part of the journey. We have all made journeys and so the, the, the most important thing to understand is that wherever you're going, if you're going from uh, here to Atlanta and that's where you're going to take your vacation, the road just gets you there. Don't fall in love with the road. That's just the vehicle that gets you there. And so it's, as it is with life, uh, the life is just the vehicle through which takes us from this point to heaven. And so this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. The first six verses of James chapter 5 really opens up and it is a very, very strong rebuke. And again, I want to remind you that James is writing to a congregation of people and there's a very strong rebuke. As a matter of fact, it is the strongest rebuke that you can find in the book of James altogether, even though it's not a long book. James condemned those who profess to really worship the Lord but in truth, they worship things. They are in love with things. And so James calls on them, and by virtue of this book tonight, calls on us to examine the true state of our heart in light of how we feel about possessions. Now, we have to understand that whatever we have is just, it's, it's not going to be, you know, I think technology has taught us one thing. The world of technology has taught us one thing. Don't fall in love with it too deeply because it's fixing to go out of date. Matter of fact, on your way out of the store while you're still folding up the receipt, <laughs> it's, it's on its way out the door. And uh, you're on your way out the door, this thing is already kind of spiraling out of, uh, out of sequence with the rest of the world. And so James is calling on us to, uh, obviously, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy the truck that I drive and enjoy the car that we own, enjoy the house that we live in, but I don't want that to be the center of my world because all of that can, that can all be gone in a flash and a moment of time, that can all be gone. And so at the outset, we understand this, that 
that the Bible does not teach against possessing wealth, not at all. Doesn't teach that it's sinful in and of itself. In fact, uh, you'll be happy to know this, that everybody possesses wealth and worldly goods to one degree or another, especially in North America. In North America, we are very, very wealthy, very wealthy against the standards of the rest of the world. That's the absolute, statistically, that is true. In Deuteronomy, though, biblically, in 8 and 18, Moses reminded the children of Israel that they were about to enter into the promised land. And when he, he wrote to them, he said this, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth. And so if the Lord was against wealth, he certainly wouldn't be empowering us to get it. And uh, I know wealth is that, that's a very relative term, very relative term. And, uh, but again, um, if we compare where we are today to, to much, much of the world that we live in, we are very wealthy. Solomon confirmed this very philosophy in Proverbs 10 and 22 when he said, the blessings of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. The blessings of the Lord, amen. And so uh, what was wrong when James is addressing this audience, what was wrong is the same thing that's wrong today, and that is the misuse of wealth. And people many times abuse the blessings of the Lord. Primarily, James is addressing this in the church that profess to be have all of their allegiance to God. You know, we just love the Lord, but actually they worship wealth. They worship what they had, their possessions. And we'll talk about that very, very specifically as we move along here tonight. And so we just have to make sure at all times that I put nothing between me and the Lord. Nothing belongs between me and God. No matter what, the Lord may bring my way. I will tell you that what sometimes the, the devil knows how to wrap things to look just like a blessing. But if it keeps us away from the Lord, if it keeps us away from the house of the Lord or interferes the flow of our relationship with the Lord, then we need to understand that's not a blessing at the end of the day. And so these traps are intentionally pointed out so that we don't fall in them. So I want to take a few minutes for us to consider the advice that James is sharing. And now we will arrive here at James chapter 5 and verse number 1. And so the first thing that James addresses is the sin of trusting in riches. The sin of trusting in riches. And so we go to verse number one, James five. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Listen to that. The rust of that shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. So these, these are very specific things that James is addressing. And I know I read quite a bit right there, but we're just going to talk about it uh, one by one. In verse 1, James uses the same terminology in chapter 5 that he used in chapter 4. And I realize it's been a little while since we visited this, but I'll just refresh you here. When he uses the term, go to now, go to now. He said that same thing in chapter 4, and that is a phrase we would say today, listen up or hear me. We would, we would startle somebody's attention, look at me, look at me. And so if I were to say right now, look at me. Everybody would be looking at me. And so that's what James is saying is here to now. 
And so he grabs their attention, listen up. And when he had their attention, he said to these rich, wealthy people who thought they had it all together and they were right in right relationship with the Lord, he just kind of burst their bubble. And he says, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come, for the miseries that shall come upon you. Now this had to be kind of total shock to them because they feel like we've got it all together. We're just doing the right things. And he just kind of comes into their party and breaks things up. Amen. They, and the reason they thought this is because they had been conditioned to believe that, that in view of the blessings that we have in our life, we must be in right relationship with God. So they were conditioned to believe that because all is well, that I must be in right relationship with God. But you know, the Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. And so sometimes the unjust are just as blessed as the just because the rain falls equally. And so this is the sin that James is addressing here and he, he commands, he commanded the, the wicked. He said, what you ought to do is weep and howl. And, uh, and, and it, it was used to describe, he was literally talking about this or uh, this was not uh, an arbitrary thought. He said that you need to wail and mourn as though you lost a loved one. And that's how serious it was in Luke 16 and 19, uh, verses 19 through about 25. We find the story of the, of the rich ruler, um, and, and the poor man, or the rich man and the poor man. The poor man's name was Lazarus. The Bible says of the rich man that he lived in splendor every day, and the poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate every day covered with sores. And he just longed for a few crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. The poor man died. He's carried away into the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And the scripture goes on to say that in hell or in Hades, he lifted up his eyes being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And it was at that moment that the rich man cried out and said, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. Now that seems like a small request, doesn't it? Dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, remember that during your life you received all your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and essentially you are now in agony. And there's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So James goes on to describe more in verse number two. He says, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. The wealthy typically place all of their trust in riches. And that kind of trust is misplaced trust because it can all fade away. He spoke specifically about corrupted riches and the word for corrupted is most often translated in the Greek as, as the word rotted and they were rotted or rotten. And so James addresses three main ways that people of this era defined wealth. And so he went right for where they lived right for where they lived. And so though we may not do all of this, I'm asking you to reach for the principles that are underlying. First, James addressed their tendency to hoard food that would inevitably rot. I just want more and 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 more. And you're letting food rot and there are people that are hungry. 
Secondly, wealth in biblical times was also measured in terms of garments. Uh, and we find even some of that today but often these garments would be richly embroidered or embellished with jewels and this was to let people around them know that we are people of means as a matter of fact in biblical times that many of these garments would become family heirlooms and they would be passed from generation to generation however placed in your garment your your trust in garments uh, are, are in something that's in danger to be eaten of moths or to rot away, it's certainly not a wise thing. And so James is just plowing right through their world and destroying it. Thirdly, the third point, uh, we move to chapter 5, verse 3, where James points out something very interesting. He said, your gold and your silver, in James 5 and 3, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Now, wealth in James's days would be measured not just in the hoarding of food or not just in costly array and garments, but would also be measured in, in precious metals like gold and silver. However, James said that even these seemingly indestructible commodities can all wither away and they can be cankered. They can be cankered or rusted. Something interesting happened while my wife and I were away a few days ago. We visited um, a particular place where there was a hot spring and uh, the spring water and you could walk around you can walk around the border of this spring, but uh, and and just kind of see the the sights there. And 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 uh, when we walked in the the very uh, the, the door or the entryway to talk to the lady that was there to it was a state park actually, and so we walked there to uh, talk to her and get a little bit of information. There was a a pretty pungent odor in the air, and uh, <clears throat> everything everything was pristine clean you could just smell the kind of the cleaning uh, uh, agents there it was very very clean uh, but there were some things that were tarnished and uh, so as she began to talk to us a little bit about uh, the water temperature and some of the minerals that were found in the water she said uh, the things that are in the air she said what you're smelling and what you're um, almost even tasting uh, are the minerals and she said she said it tarnishes Anything that is metal, and uh, so as and so, I just she just kind of had me a hello at that particular moment. I was just thinking in the air, and uh, and so she said, "Well, I'll just show you something." So she hit a button on her cash register, and when the drawer came open, the coins that were in the drawer were black, and she said they were put in there today, and so she said it's in the air. And so, uh, yeah, I've got my hands on my quarters, you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> I want to protect all 51 cents there I got. And, uh, and you, you, it was just, it was just incredible. And I noticed that then she pointed out some places in the, in the facility that were uh, metal or kind of would have been chrome, much like this mic stand here, and it was completely black. And she said, you can tell how clean everything is here. She said, but we can do nothing about these minerals 
and their effect on the metal that's here. And maybe some of you have been exposed to something that seemed something like that before, but I thought about that when I began to read this passage of Scripture that, that no matter what it started out to be, if it is exposed to the wrong thing, the wrong thing, and, uh, and so it's cankered, it's cankered. He, he used the word rust, rust, and that's an interesting thing because you would think that the coins that would have been made out of pure silver are pure gold, uh, but, but he said they have become rusted, which was uh, proof, in fact, that the coinage of that day was not pure. It was as not as pure as what you thought it was, and it would rust under the right circumstances. So what you think, uh, what you think is just right, what you think is all of that, he said, given the right circumstances, that will rust Amen, that will rust and affect, it will even affect your life. He said, the rust of them shall be a witness against you. You put all your confidence in this. But he said, the rust of that coin is gonna be a witness against you and it shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Amen, and so it's, it's uh, the right, given the right circumstances. So the point is that silver and gold will not save you in the day of judgment. What you have, what you own, what you think is gonna carry you all the way through under the right circumstances won't carry you anywhere. It will, it will rust and decay. Um, the, the lady point out, point, pointed out a few things that people had, had left there, had lost there, a bracelet or a necklace or whatever, uh, uh, things that people had inadvertently dropped and they had kept them and they were just a pile of just blackened metal, just a pile of blackened metal. And so it, it's important that we understand that we need God to help us. He's the truth. He is the way and he is the light and I need I need his power and presence in my life I, I want to understand I really want to underline something here I've mentioned it once already but I certainly want to underline that the issue of with the rich in this path in this passage is not the possession of material goods it is he is not condemning them for owning something and so we're not being condemned tonight for owning things it's the source of our trust where is our trust? I'm so thankful for everything God has ever given me in my lifetime, but I don't want to put my trust there. I don't want to put my confidence there because it can all be gone. Just a few weeks ago, uh, everyone in this audience right here, there was a, a storm barreling down on Florida and there were everyone in this building, everyone here beyond here, but everyone certainly in this building tonight was imminently aware that everything we own could have been taken just like that. What a vulnerable feeling. As we were obeying the things that were being told to us, get all your important papers. That was a weird feeling that went over me. When I was going through, and we're asking, uh, what file now is the birth certificate? We're getting all this stuff together. It was a, I wasn't alone. Wasn't that a weird feeling? To think that I'm reaching into this drawer in, 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 our, in the office in our home, and I'm, I'm reaching here, and you know what? Not only will the, is there a chance that the drawer won't be here, but there's a chance the office won't be here. <laughs> What a vulnerable thing. And you realize in a moment of time that it can just all be taken. Just all be taken. And uh, God help us. 
Oh, heavenly God, help us today. Not So it's not that we possess things. That's not the problem. It's the source of trust. The last portion of this verse is, ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. You have gotten something together that you think is going to carry you through all the way to the end. And, and, and in judgment, he said, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find corroded treasures. You're going to find this graphic evidence of where you put your trust and where you put your hope. I'm going to tell you today that our hope is not in the stock market of our world. Our hope is not in the world's economy. Our hope is in God's economy. Amen. Now, the reason for James's rebuke of the rich is not simply because they're rich. He wasn't picking on them because they were rich, but he said, because you have heaped together treasures for the last days. You think you're going to stockpile all of this and you think you're going to put all this together for another generation and you think you're going to put all this in your pockets. He said, I'll see to it that it cankers. I'll see to it that it rusts. I'll see to it that it burns your leg like fire. Pretty strong language, isn't it? Amen. So obviously the symbolic has a literal meaning. Amen. The thing which the rich were trusting in to provide for their needs was going to be the very thing to destroy them. And you know what? I've watched prosperity kill a whole lot more people than poverty, spiritually. Absolutely. God bless them and bless them and bless them and after a while, the Lord doesn't need, mean nearly as much to them as he meant at one time. Because you see, the spirit of greed always is destructive by nature. The spirit of greed always destructive. And so also place to trust, they place trust, if we place trust in anything or anyone other than God, I can promise you that's gonna disappoint you in the end. God has been there when uh, when there was nobody else to be there. And God has had a word for me and help for me and strength for me in the time of trouble. The second thing that, that uh, James deals with was the oppressing of the poor. And again, I, I want you to understand the principle here because I believe there are principles. In Matthew 5 and 4, and I want us to kind of read this methodically and intentionally here. He said, Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your field, your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. I'll read that again. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. The rich that James is addressing here had hired what we would refer to as day laborers. No different in biblical days. Day laborers to reap their field. And then at the end of the day, they would either refuse to pay them for what they had agreed upon or they would not pay them at the end of the day. Now, I think it's important to understand that day laborers were an essential part of Israel's economy. They were an essential part of their day-to-day economy. So therefore, when they withheld the wages, that was strictly prohibited in the Old Testament. It was strictly prohibited to hold back the wages of a person. I mean, they had their wages, but they would try to pull some kind of shenanigans to get out of paying them what they said they owed them, or they would say, I'll get with you tomorrow. 
And the Bible has a lot to say about not rendering unto somebody something when you have the means and the power to do it. Amen. I'm telling you that your pastor's in the book tonight. <laughs> I really am. In the book of Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus chapter 19 and 13, the law said this, thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. If I asked Brother Everett to come over to our house and cut down a tree and I said, I'll give you $10 to cut down that tree, that'd be a good deal, wouldn't it? I'll give you $10 to cut down this tree and then I've got this $10 in my pocket and I'll just say, well, I'll catch up with you tomorrow. And he needs that $10 to get gas to get home. And that then the law of the Lord said, you should not do that, the law of Moses. Let's look at the book of Deuteronomy. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 24 and 15, at his day thou shalt give him his hire. Neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be a sin unto thee. Now, I want to tell you something, that the Lord has always a great passion for the poor. So leave that scripture there for a moment. At his day thou shalt give him his hire. At the end of the day you give him his hire. Don't let the sun go down on what you owe him. For he is poor and he has already set his heart on it. He knows that he knows that at the end of the day he has $20 coming or $25 or whatever it may be. And he's got his heart set upon that. And now you're, you're going to say, well, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'll get it with you tomorrow. I'll get it with you the next day. And he said, here's the danger in doing that. He's going to cry out against thee unto the Lord and the Lord's going to hear it and it's going to become a sin unto you. Amen. Now we have to understand that he's talking about people that are working day by day and they lack the security of a steady income or the lack the security of a steady source of income and so they depended on their wages that day they weren't going home and putting that in a jar they weren't going home and and, and tucking that under the mattress but they were going to take that and buy groceries for that day they were going to that that money was already spent so to speak and so when you defraud somebody of that he said don't let the sun go down on that because when he is poor and he's going to cry out to the lord and the lord is going to hear him and it's going to become a sin unto you and so it, this was so serious that jeremiah even pronounced a curse on those that that did so i don't have the scripture for the the screen, but Jeremiah 22 and 13 says, woe to him who uses his neighbor's service without pay and does not give him his wages. Jeremiah said, woe. When you're reading the Bible and you read the word woe, stop. Consider that. That's what the word woe means, but you should pause and consider that's a serious thing. As Deuteronomy 24 and 15 predicts, the outcry of those that did the harvest and has reached the ears of the Lord. And the Lord now is going to send a curse your way. It's going to become a sin. And so it's a frightening judgment that awaits those that unjustly rob the poor. I'm going to tell you, I feel sorry today for people that take advantage of other people. Because all they have to do is tell on you. 
I'm just being a little bit facetious there. They don't have to tell on you because the Lord's watching. But all they got to do is cry out. And the cry of the poor is going to get the ear of God. And God said, I'll take care of that. And I'm going to tell you, when God blows on something, it's gone. Amen. When God blows on something, it is gone. The, the, the third thing that, uh, that James deals with here is the sin of hedonism. And uh, that is found in verse number five. He said, you have lived in pleasure on earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Now, the previous emphasis on riches and expensive garments and, and oppression of the poor indicates that, um, that the people addressed here are guilty of hedonism or um, another word for that. That's a kind of a, a biblical term, but uh, the wor- a, a, a definition of the word hedonism is the worship of pleasure. And so now when we think about it that way, we're eaten up in our society today with hedonism. So when you hear the word hedonism, don't just think that's kind of a King James thing. It's a 21st century thing. Because we are completely knocked over, in our, especially in our culture today, with the worship of pleasure. People will go to any length for pleasure. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Just pleasure. The international standard version of that scripture says this, you've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. My goodness, isn't that where we are today? The, 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 just the, the, the vein of, of the mindset of people today. Self-indulgence has the connotation of just giving ourselves to the pursuit of pleasure no matter what it takes, no matter what it takes. And so those who pursue pleasure and those who pursue luxury often descend down in this vain attempt to satisfy just insatiable desires. You know, I have um, read many books through the years uh, of, of people uh, whose lives, you know, there's, there's an interesting, um, sad, but there's an interesting common thread, continuity uh, in the lives of lottery winners. Uh, I don't know how many people have ever had... The, or even taking the time to pause and, and many, many people, the vast majority of people who win the lottery, their lives become shipwrecked. And uh, it, it's very common, you know, that a lot of, the, a, a lot of uh, sports figures who, who sign multi-million dollar contracts just within years of their retirement are completely bankrupt because it's lies of just self-indulgence, just things that would just just kind of boggle our mind and they descend down into just trying to satisfy themselves on things that life can provide and you see there's a there's a cross-shaped void in the heart of every man and we can't satisfy it any other way outside of the Lord and so a, a life of self-denial a life rather without self-denial soon spirals out of control. When you could just get whatever you want when you want it in time. And many people who have survived some of these very, very cruel circumstances of life have written books and testified about how they went through when, when, just, when you can just get anything you want because you've got the money to provide it and you've got the power, the influence to provide that and it is that absolute power that brings absolute corruption every time. And so when there is no self-denial, when we never deny ourselves of something, then we lose control in every other area. That's why from time to time it's good to fast. 
because it just shows flesh who's really in control. Amen? And uh, how'd you like that? Just slip fast and right in there in the book of James. Didn't even see it coming. Amen. Ironically, one of the, one of the wealthiest individuals and one of the wisest individuals of all time, he provides an illustration of the futility of this self-indulgence path. The book of, of Ecclesiastes is a, just a, an absolutely fascinating book, and, uh, and it, it is certainly a great study. But I, I'm not going to try to read a lot of this, but in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes, I just want to pull uh, some bullet points, but I'm not adding anything to this. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from it. I went over to the media desk tonight, and I, I picked up my iPad after Sarah had put all the stuff in there, and I was about to walk away, and I looked down at her, and I said, you didn't take anything out, did you? <laughs> she said, no, sir, but I thought about it. <laughs> and so I'm not adding anything to that. I, I'm sorry about illustrations. I forgot about that. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we have two meetings after church now. Um, I won't read it all, but just allow me to hit some bullet points. And I'm not adding anything to this, and I'm not taking anything away from it. I'm, I'm, I'm in Ecclesiastes 2. This is what Solomon said. I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kind of fruit. I made me pools of water. I got me servants and maidens. I had great possessions of great and small cattle before me. I gathered me also silver and gold. I got me men singers and women singers and musical instruments of all sort. I was great. I increased more than all that were before me. My wisdom remained in me. Whatsoever mine eye desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. I, 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 me, 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 God, God, God. And so don't find Solomon in the zenith of his years. Find him here when he said, I tried it all and it's not there. Amen. It's not there. The latter portion of verse 5 says, as it were the day of slaughter. That's an interesting phrase because the day of slaughter was a day of rejoicing or a day of gladness. When the prodigal son was brought home, the father said what? He said, go get the fatted calf and let's slaughter him because our son has returned. So when the slaughtering of the fatted calf indicated something that was a time of celebration, but he said, you're treating this like it's the day as if this were the day of slaughter. And what he's really trying to say is you couldn't be further from the truth. You couldn't be further from the truth. And so we see this indicated by uh, that, that, that parable of the, of the son who walked away. And lastly, we're going to go to verse number six and talk about the sin of false judgment. And uh, I'll ask our musicians if they will to come. The book of Judges, I mean, the book of James chapter five and verse number six, it, the scripture says, you have condemned and killed the just and he doth not resist you. Several weeks ago, we covered the first portion of the second chapter of the book of James. That particular passage of scripture addressed believers' uh, preferential treatment of the poor and the rich. 
He said, you know, you say to this man, come sit here. And you say to this man, go, you go sit here. And this preferential treatment and, uh, and, and the, the disrespect of the poor. And so this verse in the same sentiment addresses the rich themselves and rebukes them for their mistreatment of the poor. As we've seen, James has a real distaste for social injustice. Where, um, where there is genuine Christianity, I believe that there will, on the heels of that, be equitable treatment of all people. And that is a missing ingredient in our society today. We need to love people because they're people. They have a soul. Amen. Regardless of their social status, regardless of their, uh, their race, regardless of their background, regardless. And, and I say many, many times and will we'll unashamedly say again, but for grace, there go I. Any of us, any of us could be right there. So disregarding this truth in, in, in this final progression in a downward spiral. So let's listen to, to now in a succinct order, if we can, to what James has already said. Having unjustly hoarded their money, they robbed their day laborers of their wages, and they spent that money on their self-indulgent desires. They went even further then to condemn and put to death just men. That's what James called them. They would kill to maintain their opulent lifestyle. I know that this sounds really, really far out today and, and we're probably grappling a little bit to try to bring this into the context of this evening's service. But I'm gonna tell you that this is a very sobering passage of scripture because the word condemned says means you passed sentence on. You have condemned them. And sometimes if we're not careful, We'll look at our station in life and think we're a little bit higher than we really are. And that we're a little more valuable than we really are. Amen. I don't know if this is fair to say. I don't mean this in, in, a, in a judgmental way. But sometimes you can see people just walking down the sidewalk that you can just tell they think an awful lot of themselves. <laughs> and uh, when I was growing up, people used to say, if you could buy them for what? Let's see. If you could buy them for what they're worth, sell them for what they think they're worth or whatever, something like that. And uh, so it just kind of makes you see some people that you think that may, according to their heirs, may be a pretty good investment. Amen. But we need to understand that we can't pass judgment on people. I don't want to get so high and lifted up that I not realize that, but for the grace of God. Amen. Whatever I have could be gone in a moment of time. It could, you know, absolutely be gone but as I've often said talking about those things that even if we were not to lose something we didn't lose our home and our this or that or the other I promise you that if the doctor told you you had 72 hours to live no matter what you owned it wouldn't matter it wouldn't matter the worth of that the value of that could all just fade away and so as we stand today, the moral of this evening's passage is this. Wealth, ever how you define that. Wealth may be a blessing and it may even be a gift from God. But there is a prerequisite to that. It's only 
if we remain rich in the Lord as well. Third John chapter 2, what an important scripture says. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, comma, even as thy soul prospereth. And so I would say tonight to let the Lord bless you all that he can and you go as high as you possibly can, but take God with you. Take God with you. Amen. Brother Mike Williams also, a lot of times I've heard him refer to educated people. He, as, as, uh, he said, we need your baptized brains. <laughs> I agree with that. We need your baptized brains. Take, and you go as high in this world as you possibly can, take the Lord with you. But the moment that you can't invite the Lord into any portion of your life, amen. If you had to go into a board meeting and say, now Lord, you're going to have to sit outside here because we're going to have to make some unscrupulous decisions. That's the day. That's the day that we need to tender something and say, you know what, I'm out, I'm out. Amen. So Lord, help us to take you with us. Praise God. Let's worship the Lord. Can we do that? I love you today, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.